Tool number 12, how to not get wrapped up in your thoughts. The following are specific tools developed by really smart people to help you take a tiny sidestep outside of the story you're telling yourself in your brain and look at it from a different point of view. It's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. These tools help you step outside of the jar of your own head and see your thoughts for what they are, just the story you're telling yourself. From there, you can decide if you want to keep that story or tweak it to something better that serves you. Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Acceptance and Commitment Therapy was developed by clinical psychologist Stephen C. Hayes to help himself through his own debilitating anxiety. The idea behind this technique is to simply gain some distance between yourself and the thought creating the anxiety or discomfort. Remember, just because you have a thought does not mean it's true. Step one, recognize and identify the thought. For example, I want to eat that cake. Step two, insert these words in front of the thought. I'm having the thought that, and then insert the thought. So for example, I'm having the thought that I want to eat cake. Say this out loud two or three times. I'm having the thought that I want to eat cake. I'm having the thought that I want to eat cake. I'm having the thought that I want to eat cake. Step three, insert these words in front of the thought. I notice I'm having the thought that, and then insert the thought and say it out loud two or three times. I notice I'm having the thought that I want to eat the cake. I notice I'm having the thought that I want to eat the cake. I notice I'm having the thought that I want to eat the cake. As you get more distance from the thought, you can see that it's just a thought, like a balloon on a string slowly floating away from you. You may notice that there are often a number of thoughts that are related to this one thought. So for example, oh, I really would love to eat that cake. Every time I go by the bakery section in the store, that cake is just there. And there's so many cookies. It's so hard to resist. It's not fair. Plus, we're going over to my parents' house tonight, and mom always pushes food on me like the pumpkin bread or something. It's so good, but I can't have it, etc., etc. Imagine that your mind is like an attic and there are lots of boxes in the attic. These thoughts that are all related to each other are like a tangled ball of string. If you could put all the tangled strings of related thoughts into one box, how would you label this box? Then the next time you notice yourself having a thought related to something that causes anxiety, you can interrupt the pattern by thinking, oh, I'm pulling out the box in my mind labeled, I can't eat baked goods, and I notice I'm rummaging around in that old story again. That can help you gain a little distance from your thoughts. The more distance you get, the less you identify with the thought as totally and unequivocally true. Tool number two is the work. The work is a simple yet amazingly effective tool developed by Byron Katie. It utilizes straightforward questions to help you look at the story you're telling yourself from a different angle and see if there might be a different way of looking at things. Just opening up your mind to ask yourself a question in a different way 
can ease a lot of self-created suffering. In weight loss, we often struggle with the push-pull dynamic in our brains when we tell ourselves we want something that we can't have. So let's take the cake, for example. Imagine you're walking through a grocery store and you walk past the bakery section. There, in the center of the aisle, on display is a type of cake that you really, really enjoy. The primitive part of your brain that is driven by desires wants the cake. And the more rational part of your brain says, nope, I can't have the cake because I'm on a diet. We create a lot of suffering for ourselves when we tell ourselves the story of, it's not fair that I can't have X. Here's how you might use the work to examine the story, I want the cake, but I can't have it. Part one consists of four questions. Question one, is it true? So the statement is, I want the cake, but I can't have it. In that moment, as you walk through the grocery aisle, is it true that you want the cake? Is it true that you can't have it? Often the answer is yes, because the thought feels really true. So question two is, can you absolutely know it's true? So going back to that moment, as you walk through the grocery aisle, can you absolutely know it's true that you want the cake and you can't have it? Often this question puts a little crack in the story that we're telling ourselves. A, do you actually 100% want the cake? Is there any part of you that doesn't want the cake? And B, Can you actually have the cake if you want it? What's preventing you from having the cake? Question three is, how do you react? What happens when you think that thought? So let's look at this. How do you react? What happens in the moment as you walk through the grocery aisle when you believe the thought that you want the cake, but you can't have it? All sorts of things can come up here. What do you realize here? So there's a couple additional questions you could ask yourself. For example, how do you treat yourself in that moment as you walk through the grocery store thinking those thoughts? So for example, you might say, I treat myself pretty poorly. I add in a lot of shame and guilt. I feel bad because I want something I can't have. And then I feel bad for wanting it. It's like a double dose of bad feelings. Another question you can ask yourself is, how do you treat others in the situation when you have that thought in your head? You might say, well, I get pretty grumpy and I can take it out on my kids or my spouse when I get home from the store. And then I end up not wanting what I planned for dinner. And sometimes we change the plan and eat out and I end up overeating to compensate for all the empty feeling of not having what I wanted earlier in the day. And the third question you can ask yourself is in that moment, as you walk through the grocery aisle, how do you feel in your body when you think this thought? So this is asking what kind of sensations are you feeling? So an example might be, my shoulders feel tight and pretty hunched. I have a heaviness in my chest and almost like a burning sensation in my stomach. So question four of the four questions is, who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without the thought, I want the cake, but I can't have it, in that moment as you walk through the grocery aisle? Everything is the exact same but you're not capable of having the thought, I want the cake, but I can't have it. What happens then? Here's a potential example. You might say, well, I feel a little bit lighter, like I'm free of this cloud of judgment and wanting but not having. 
I can just go through the store and finish my shopping and feel fine. I probably am more likely to have a healthy dinner that night than go off a plan and get takeout. So that was part one of the work. Part two is called the turnarounds. So from here, we can get into some turnarounds. These are statements that look at the original thought from different angles to see where there might be some ways to relieve the suffering that's caused by the thought. And there's three specific turnarounds. Turnaround number one is to the opposite. So the original statement is, in that moment in the grocery aisle, I want the cake, but I can't have it. So the turnaround might be, in that moment in the grocery aisle, I don't want the cake. Or, in that moment in the grocery aisle, I can have the cake. What are two or three examples of how the turnaround to the opposite might feel true? The second turnaround is to the other. The original statement is, in that moment in the grocery aisle, I want the cake, but I can't have it. So to the other turnaround would be the cake wants me, but it can't have me. Even if this turnaround sounds a little nonsensical, what are two or three examples of how this turnaround might feel true? And finally, the third turnaround is to the self. Often you can substitute my thinking or my thoughts if turning around to yourself doesn't immediately make sense. So the original statement is, In that moment in the grocery aisle, I want the cake, but I can't have it. The turnaround could be, my thinking wants the cake, but my thinking can't have it. What are two or three examples of how this turnaround might feel true? The work is a simple tool, but not necessarily an easy one. Take some time to walk through this and write out your thoughts. See what happens. Again, the main purpose of this is to simply gain some distance between you and the thought so that you no longer identify with it quite so tightly. It opens up some room to allow a different perspective and ease some of the suffering that the original thought is causing you. The victim drama triangle. Sometimes we find ourselves overeating or numbing out with food because of the feelings that we don't want to feel. There are any number of feelings that can be painful based on the things we have experienced and the stories we tell ourselves about those experiences. While I would never, ever invalidate or question someone's lived experience, trauma is real, we can sometimes perpetuate the suffering we feel based on the meaning we make and the stories we create around the experience. This can range from the truly traumatic to the more mundane. One common story I hear often from women is some version of, I'm so busy taking care of everyone else that I just don't have time to take care of myself. Listen, it makes sense that many of us have some version of this story in our heads. Just like anything, we can take caring for others a little too far. When we neglect our needs in service of others, that can breed feelings of resentment, martyrdom, and anger. When we do that, we find ourselves falling into the role of the victim in the Cartman Drama Triangle developed by Dr. Stephen Cartman in 1968 to describe high-conflict situations. The Cartman Drama Triangle is also called the Victim Triangle because the roles people play in the shifting dynamics of a conflict in a relationship. The three roles in a conflict are the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. Let's look at those one at a time. The victim. You're probably a busy person. 
We've all got a lot going on, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed sometimes by all the things we need to get done. However, we put ourselves in the victim role when we allow ourselves to feel powerless to make decisions to change things or be dependent on others or external circumstances. Problems feel unsolvable and outside of our control, and it's easy to blame the perpetrator, which can be a situation, a person, or a circumstance. For example, I have three kids and a full-time job. There is no time to meal plan, and by the time dinner rolls around, I'm too tired to cook something healthy. Or, my husband and the kids don't really like healthy food, and I don't want to cook two different meals for them and me. Or, I'm always hungry after dinner. I just can't help it. When we allow ourselves to play the victim role, that feels bad. And it's not a big leap to go from yucky, victim-y feelings to overeating and numbing out as a way to avoid facing the feelings of victimhood and martyrdom. The persecutor. The persecutor is the person or thing that makes the victim feel helpless. If the persecutor is a situation like your busy schedule, it can feel dominating and oppressive. However, sometimes we play the role of persecutor to ourselves. When that happens, the persecutor feels angry, controlling, and judgmental. Maybe you had an overeat and you feel bad. You turn the tables on yourself and transition from the victim to the persecutor. For example, I should have known better than to think that I could lose weight. Why did I think I could control myself around that birthday party food? Only a slob would eat the way I do. I deserve to feel terrible. The rescuer. The rescuer feels satisfaction from helping others and likes to play the hero to the point of self-sacrificing and neglecting their own needs. Rescuers like to fix other people's problems and have a need to be needed. Personally, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable right now because I've seen myself in this role more times than I'd like to admit. Often, we do this with our families. We can even take it far enough that we let their needs get in the way of taking care of ourselves, and the whole cycle begins all over again. So, how do you get yourself out of this cycle? Number one, when you find yourself playing the role of the victim. First, notice it. What kinds of feelings come up? What things do you say that serve as clues that you're in victim mode? Next, reclaim your agency. You are not helpless. You are powerful. Get creative. What are ways to help you feel a small sense of control and take charge of your own situation? And thus, the victim becomes the creator. Two, when you find yourself playing the role of persecutor. When you find yourself blaming and shaming, stop trying to force and manipulate yourself into change. Accept where you are and that you are doing the best you can. Then ask, how can I use this experience to motivate me in a positive way? What would make me genuinely want to do something different next time? What can I do to support myself right now? This way, the persecutor becomes the challenger. And finally, number three, when you find yourself playing the role of the rescuer, stop solving other people's problems. Empower them to take agency over the things you're doing for them where you can. How can you delegate and enable others to take a role in supporting themselves 
rather than doing it for them. In this way, the rescuer becomes the coach. Most of this book is about your relationship with yourself. However, it is often the challenges that we have in relationships with others that create worry, stress, and fear that leads to turning to food to numb the pain. If you find yourself engaging in the victim drama triangle with someone else, try thinking about the cosmic bus stop as a way to ease some of the struggle. The cosmic bus stop. Imagine that before our spirits came to this life in these bodies, we were all at the cosmic bus stop waiting for the bus to arrive to take us to earth. As we were talking to the other souls, we talk about the things that we want to learn as souls and spiritual beings. One soul says, I'm going to learn about grace. Maybe another says, I want to learn how to forgive. We need other souls to help us in this earthly journey to learn the things we set out for ourselves. So what looks like conflict in this earthly life is actually the gift of love from another soul who agreed to help us in our mission here. It all comes from love and helping us evolve into our higher selves. I wonder if you and the person you're in a relationship with agreed as souls to come into this life together and help each other learn and grow because your souls love each other so much that you're willing to take on a tough assignment together. Just a thought. 